It does lead to negative body image issues because it's now being sexually objectified for men to play with and look at this, this magazine. It's just really twisted and creepy. That was former model Nicole Clark, a guest on Fox News a few years ago. And while you might think that she's criticizing a provocative pop star or a person in a fashion magazine, she's actually talking about an 11 and a half inch plastic doll. I'm Lindsay Rupp, and on this episode of Material World, we're doing a deep dive on Barbie, how she's lasted all these years, and what she's doing now to survive. Joining me as co-host is Matt Townsend, one of our colleagues here at Bloomberg News. Hey, Matt. Hey, Lindsay. Excited to be here. I had Barbies growing up. I think my first Barbie was one of those aerial princess Barbies, and uh, she had this tail you could take on and off. I played with her in the bathtub. But what about you? Did you have Barbies as a kid? I didn't, but I do have this one vivid memory of getting a Ken doll when I was a little kid, and I was so embarrassed because I thought, that's a girl's toy, that's part of Barbie, that's not for boys. So I think I either threw it out or maybe hid it under my bed. And that sort of was my relationship with Barbie for the longest time, to be honest. So you weren't into Ken, Barbie's boyfriend, but now you're like the Barbie expert at Bloomberg. What changed? So I started covering Mattel, which makes Barbie. You know, I covered the company's earnings and things like that, and Barbie's their biggest brand. But I really didn't think much about it. And then I had a daughter, and I asked my wife about maybe introducing Barbie to her when she came of age, around three or four years old. And she really wasn't too into it. My wife wasn't. So I asked why. And she said, well, you know, I played with Barbie. I loved it growing up. But she viewed Barbie as this stereotypical thing that girls are supposed to play with. You know, girls play with Barbie, boys play with cars and trucks. And so that got me thinking about what's going on. And she said that a lot of the moms she knows feel the same way. So as Matt's found out in his reporting, a lot of today's moms have issues with Barbie. But before we get into that, let's go back to the beginning. It's 1945. World War II is ending, and a gallon of gas costs 15 cents. There's a married couple in their 20s living in Los Angeles, and they're struggling. Elliot Handler is an art school dropout, and his wife, Ruth Handler, is a stenographer. But they're strivers, and they scrape together enough money to rent out a garage and start making jewelry and clocks with a new plastic called Lucite that Elliot had just learned about. Thus, Mattel is born. The business gets off the ground and survives by shifting into toys. Then, in 1955, the handlers take a big, big gamble. Disney approaches them about advertising on a new television show called The Mickey Mouse Club. The one catch is Disney wants the handlers to buy a year's worth of ad time up front for $500,000. That's more than $4 million in today's dollars and surpassed what all of Mattel was worth at the time. But Elliot and Ruth make the bet and Mattel becomes the first toy company to market toys to kids over television. And it pays off as sales surge from the exposure of what becomes a mainstay with kids across America. 
This sets the stage for 1959. Someday I'm gonna be exactly like you. Till then I know just what I'll do. Barbie, beautiful Barbie. I'll make believe that I am you. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. This black and white commercial aired on the Mickey Mouse Club too, and it introduced Barbie to the world. It's filled with elegance. Barbie's in a wedding dress and an evening gown and a spotlight in front of a curtain like she's about to perform. And little girls went nuts for her. Because Barbie was offering them something so different. There had been dolls for centuries, but they were babies or little kids. The play pattern was nurturing. But Barbie, who is named after the handler's daughter, is a teenager. And she lives in Malibu, California, Girls wanted to be her. So the play turned into storytelling with Barbie and her slew of accessories that would grow into a closet full of clothes, cars, and homes. This makes so much sense because many parents of little girls will tell you that they see this shift around age four. It's when they start wanting to be like older girls and playing with older girls, really emulating them. Uh, do, do you know much about the history of, of, of Barbie? Because, like, I mean, I'm... Barbara Millicent Roberts? Yes. <laughs> That's Jim Silver at his office in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. And there's really no other way to describe him other than a toy guru. That little clip you just heard right there, he was actually mentioning Barbie's full name. It's Barbara Millicent Roberts. And how many people actually know that? Frankie Stein. That's Claudine Wolf. Yeah, flux capacitor, really important to me. Heath Ledger stuff. The 57-year-old with a bright smile who could pass for probably 10 years younger has been working in the industry for more than three decades. Oh, you got the Barbie swimsuit. Oh, yeah. In 1959, I have the 30th anniversary doll, 1989. But I think Tarzan's my favorite. Yeah, he was one of the first people to do in-depth reviews of toys and create lists of in-demand playthings for Christmas, which are now both staples of the industry. Now his company, TTPM, which stands for Toys, Tots, Pets, and More, does video reviews that over the last five years have garnered 500 million views. And he personally checks out 10,000 items a year. Barbie's a superhero. You had Batman, you had Superman, uh, you had all these TV shows, you had movies. Uh, there weren't superheroes for girls. Who was the aspirational figure that could tell the girls, you can do anything you want to do? You, you want to go to the moon? You can go to the moon. You could be president. Jim is so well-versed in toys that I've actually had people in the industry tell me that his thumbs up or thumbs down is a great indicator of whether a toy will be successful or a failure. He's become so respected that toy makers like Mattel and Hasbro will send him products as early as possible to get his feedback, and then they might even make changes based on his response. And he really knows Barbie. How do girls play with Barbie? Yes, there was the careers, but it was also... Barbie's called a fashion doll for a reason, because it's all about fashion. It's all about the different outfits. It's all about the shoes. It's about the accessories. And then it happened. She met Ken, and somehow she knew that she and Ken would be going together. So now Mattel brings you Ken. And for the next four decades, Barbie sales soared with few exceptions and eventually surpassed a billion dollars as Mattel became the biggest toy company in the world. 
Mattel showed that it could adapt and respond to trends and what was going on in culture. Barbie took on more careers as women increasingly entered the workforce. She even joined the army. There was a line in the 1980s called Day to Night Barbie, in which she came with an outfit that could be changed from skirt suit to evening gown. I'd say about 95% of all brands are here today and gone within three years. If you get five or seven years, it's a good lifespan. But there were hiccups. Women's groups criticized the doll over the years for reinforcing stereotypes and having an unrealistic body that was seen as too thin. It didn't hurt sales, but the media took notice. So much so that the New York Times obituary on Ruth Handler, the Mattel founder, in April 2002 noted in the first paragraph that Barbie had become a, quote, lightning rod of feminist politics. One of the most notable incidents came in 1992 when Mattel released a line of talking Barbies. Most of what the new Teen Talk Barbie says is pretty harmless, considering the source, but some of the dolls are programmed to say, and I quote, math class is tough. That has drawn fire from those who think Barbie's remark reinforces a stereotype about girls and math. There's no question that there is a stereotype that exists for young girls, which is that math is hard, I can't do math, or science is hard, I can't do science, or it's not meant for me. I have a second grade daughter who's uh, doing multiplication tables here in her first month of school, and the last message I want her to get is that for some reason math is any more challenging to her than any other subject that she's studying. Ooh, yikes. I know. This has become known as the, quote, math is hard controversy. And it's kind of developed into this shorthand for critics and the media when talking about Barbie being out of touch. It was even spoofed on The Simpsons. I wish they taught shopping in school. Let's bake some cookies for the boys. Come on, Stacy. I've waited my whole life to hear you speak. Don't you have anything relevant to say? And this is regardless of the fact that she actually says math class is tough, which is a little different when you think about it. And also that this was one of more than 200 possible phrases in this line of dolls, with each one being programmed to only say four of them. Others included, I'm going to be a veterinarian. Right. This wasn't a huge deal, but it started creating a perception with the public that Barbie wasn't progressive. She's old-fashioned, she's reinforcing stereotypes like all women care about is clothes and makeup and shopping. And let's be honest, just close your eyes, clear your mind. Now, when I say, she's a Barbie doll, what pops into your head? It's probably not Rosie the Riveter. So Barbie's starting to seem a little stale in the 1990s, and then... That's Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. It debuted almost 20 years ago, and it ushered in a big shift with performers like the Spice Girls and teeny bopper pop stars being more provocative and sexy. So teenagers started to dress a little more provocative and sexy, too. And remember when we talked earlier about how the original Barbie was so successful because it tapped into younger girls wanting to emulate older ones? Well, that's what happened with Britney. Teens wanted to be like her. And young girls wanted to be like teenagers. So they wanted to be like Britney, too. They wanted their dolls to look like Britney. 
And while Mattel was slow to respond to the Britney era, other toy makers weren't. A Britney Spears doll with midriff and all came out in 1999 and was a hit. Then a little-known company called MGA Entertainment debuted Bratz in 2001, and it went all in on sexy. The dolls had lush lips and skimpy outfits. It was a direct hit to Barbie. Within a few years, the Bratz brand surpassed $1 billion in sales. Check that out. The boys with the passion for... Girls with a passion for fashion. Can there ever be too many parties? Funk and Glow Brats. Funk and Glow Brats, each sold separately with two mix and match outfits. F and Cruiser. That time period, kids changed. And Barbie was always, you know, pink and purple and pure and clean and represented good. But there was room for something edgier for older kids. Britney did it first. Well, first Spice Girls, then Britney really did it. And then Bratz took off. The Barbie brand was caught flat-footed. Like so many companies that achieve massive success, Mattel had become slow and risk-averse. The business model became more about the status quo than about testing boundaries. While Barbie held on to her youngest fans from three to six years old, she was losing the older ones in droves. Mattel didn't have an answer to that. They, They introduced a couple lines in the early 2000s to compete with Bratz and they were just poorly done. They just went too far. Jam and Glam Barbie What a great show Back to Blonde it goes We'll jam again tomorrow It's a great time to be a girl. Barbie. And so it was how do you compete? Things didn't get much better from there especially when another giant threat emerged in the middle of last decade with the princess trend, led by Mattel's old friend, Disney. Disney had always had princesses, but a new strategy emerged that aimed to overload the market with movies and television shows to draw in little girls, and it worked, culminating in the monster hit movie Frozen in 2013. Now, during this time, Barbie was still a giant brand, but Mattel was losing market share. And what good periods the brand did have were when Mattel was layering the princess motif over Barbie, like my Ariel Barbie. Even worse, it's around this time that Mattel's researchers start to realize that criticisms of Barbie in the media aren't just influencing a select few, but something bigger was happening. If Barbie was a presidential candidate, her poll numbers were falling. And it was Michael Shore's job to figure out why. He's the head of consumer research, and along with being at Mattel for two decades, he also has a PhD in behavioral psychology. And we heard, you know, look, a lot of moms love the brand, but there was a growing segment of consumers where it was just like, I grew up with it, I played with it, I loved it, I'm I'm a successful adult who had had that experience, but I just don't want that for my daughter because it doesn't reflect the world around them today. Take Maria Adcock, a mother of two girls, ages eight and two, from Long Island. She's of Chinese descent and her husband is white. That family dynamic feeds her blogging on her website, biculturalmama.com. She grew up wanting to play with Barbie, but her parents told her the doll was too expensive. So she was given knockoffs. So you would think she'd be more than willing to lavish Barbies on her kids, but no. When... Most people think about Barbie. The first thing that comes into mind is 
blonde Malibu Barbie who's, you know, bubbly and very into her own clothes and her looks and Ken and pink, pink, pink. And it just seems very superficial and very stereotypical for, for girls. And watching an animated show from a couple years ago on Netflix with her daughter called Barbie, Life in the Dreamhouse, didn't help. It was about clothes, hair, and boys. And, and that was really about it. And I don't see that as being very inspiring um, or aspiring and empowering for, for girls. Like so many long-standing brands, Barbie had lost touch with a chunk of her core consumers. And a big marketing campaign only made things worse. Remember that clip we played at the beginning of the episode? That was Barbie being criticized in February 2014 for partnering with Sports Illustrated to create a spread for its swimsuit issue that was inserted into the magazine. She donned a black and white one piece and claimed to be hashtag unapologetic and drew the wrath of the media. Even Good Morning America's George Stephanopoulos didn't like it. Online outrage at the toy maker Mattel, who paid for the spread. One woman posting, there is something super unsettling and creepy about a publication that makes a direct and totally inappropriate correlation between sex and little girls' toys. I'm trying to figure out, I mean, clearly Mattel's saying that this is a message of empowerment, but what are they really thinking here? That doozy of an ad campaign didn't help matters at all, as sales continued to fall. By the next January, the CEO had been fired, and an executive named Richard Dixon had been brought back to the company with the marching orders of saving Barbie. In Dixon's first stint at Mattel about a decade ago, he spearheaded a brief revival on Barbie by pushing the brand into fashion with top designers like Diane von Furstenberg creating looks for her. But this wasn't about fashion or jumping on a trend. It was something much deeper. I talked to him about what ailed Barbie earlier this year at a restaurant in downtown Manhattan. He said Mattel's failure to respond to the critiques of Barbie's body epitomized how paralyzed the company had become. We knew the conversation about body was happening, and we had a canned answer. Well, she's not real. She's a toy, and therefore... It's not something that's a body conversation. And we would, whenever somebody thinks like that, we'd hit play. Well, she's a doll. She's done it up. So at some point, you have to say, like, okay, how come we're not actually addressing the conversation head on? And Mattel did. First, it attempted to get parents to reappraise Barbie in October of 2015 when it launched an ad campaign called Imagine the Possibilities. It features girls teaching college, working as a veterinarian, and even coaching a men's soccer team. The ad won awards, and an online version went viral with 25 million views on YouTube. The spot ends with the words, quote, When a girl plays with Barbie, she imagines everything she can become. Good morning, everyone. I'm your new coach. My name is Maddie. Nice to meet you. Knees up like a unicorn. That campaign was rare for a toy maker because it was aimed at parents, not kids. And it helped start changing the conversation about Barbie. Then in January 2016, Mattel flipped the conversation on its head by introducing three new body types. Tall, petite, curvy, and also a slew of skin tones. There was a media frenzy 
including an exclusive story gracing the cover of Time magazine with the headline, quote, Can we stop talking about my body now? It was a coup for Richard Dixon and his team. And just last week, on June 20th, Barbie announced 15 new Ken dolls. They have three body types, slim, broad, and original, seven skin tones, eight hair colors, nine hairstyles, and new fashions. There are even a couple man bun Ken dolls, and their eyebrows are on fleek. And if you're going to be relevant, you have to engage in the dialogue. And, And at the end, people may not like you. And that's okay. But there may be a lot more people that really appreciate it and do like you. But to stay in the middle or gray, a brand can't do that anymore. Mattel has started to tackle two of Barbie's biggest hurdles. That in an age of strong, empowering female characters like Elsa and Anna from Frozen or Katniss from The Hunger Games, Barbie looked out of date. And that the brand, which is global, didn't look very diverse. Barbie's sales have rebounded, but the brand is still working on winning back the customers it lost. For Maria Adcock, the mother from Long Island, she sees progress even if some of the brand's older books and shows still fall flat. Thanks to the advertising and the added diversity, this one-time critic is reconsidering Barbie for her younger daughter. Well, I did see the commercial that talked about Barbie being empowered, and I thought it was a very well-done commercial. As a mother, it had positive role models, you know, showing to little girls in different careers and talking to adults. Um, it, it was cute. Um, it was funny. And that did make me think, oh, okay, they're really making an effort, and they get it. And I would be more open to buying these new Barbies now. Okay, Matt. So what have we learned through this whole story? We learned that brands have to adapt or they'll die. And we see that over and over again with a bunch of brands that we cover. For decades, Barbie was seen as this materialistic, white, skinny teenager with blonde hair. But in our diverse world of multiracial families and female empowerment, that wasn't working. Right. She seemed like a stereotype of herself and of this time that just doesn't really resonate anymore. So I guess now, at a minimum, Barbie's at least off the sidelines. I mean, Mattel has introduced more body types, and they've added some racial diversity, and they're really trying to talk to mom about Barbie being a positive influence. These are all steps in the right direction, at least. And the bottom line is that managing a brand is really, really hard. But let's give Mattel some credit here. Despite Barbie's stumbles over the years, her longevity at almost 60 years old is by far the exception. That's it for this episode of Material World. Thanks for listening. And thanks to my awesome co-host, Matt Townsend. Thanks for having me. If you want to find out more about the people we talked to for this episode, you can go to biculturalmama.com and you can check out Jim Silver's site at ttpm.com. And don't forget, you can also follow Barbie at the Twitter handle at Barbie. You can also keep up with Matt Townsend's reporting at Matt underscore Townsend. And follow me. I'm at LC Rupp. 
For more Material World, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Bloomberg.com, and your favorite podcast apps. This episode of Material World was produced by Magnus Henriksen and Liz Smith. The head of Bloomberg Podcasts is Alec McCabe. Material World is back in two weeks. Bye. possibilities. It features girls teaching college, working as a veterinarian, and coaching a men's soccer team. That is still a dream. (laughs) I'm sorry.